Well, if you have your Bibles, please, would you take them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seats below you. It will be on the screens. Welcome to all of you watching on live stream. So glad you are here this morning as we are in the midst of a sermon series called Second Chance. That we believe we serve a God of second chances. And in the midst of that and in this series, uh, we wanted today to talk about a subject that doesn't get talked about much in, in church uh, because it's, it's one that sometimes gets a little uncomfortable. And so uh, I'm the one that they chose to talk about it. But we're going to talk today a little bit of, about grief and what it means when we walk through a loss and how do we handle that. And I want to start this morning by showing you a, a few pictures. Uh, and I want you to ask yourself, what, what kind of emotion um, do you feel when, when you see this picture? And then what kind of emotion do you think was going on for the person that was in this picture, all right? So I want to just show you a couple uh, of these. Would you take a look at the screens this morning? Uh, here is the first one. And uh, <clears throat> what do you think about that? A little bit of pain? Yeah, all right. Some of you might like this one. Uh, there you go, Darren. I'll give you some right there. All right, nicely done. USC won the Rose Bowl. That's great. What do you think this one is? <laughs> you don't go here, that's Chris, teaching pastor. I think there is, a, you know, some intensity right there. Maybe some frustration, I don't know. Uh, all right, what about this one? Oh, poor Timmy, he was sad. All right, what about this one? Yeah, if you don't go here, uh, Alabama is my favorite team, and we lost uh, the national championship. Hey, seriously. And I know, you, you felt joy. Uh, I felt great grief. It was, I, we haven't lost in a long... I don't even know what it's like to lose anymore. I mean, we won 26 in a row. You should have been here the first service. I, I took a picture. I should have posted it. But I had a, a, a rooted group that were all in orange, and they all stood up, and it said, Go Tigers for Clemson. <laughs> so that was awesome. So I took a picture with them. But I felt great loss or grief. There's emotion that, that comes over all of us when... We see those pictures, but more when we walk through life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, but uh, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Life is what happens while you make other plans. And I found that to be true in the most unpredictable, in the most inconvenient, and almost, almost shocking ways uh, in my life. As a pastor, I have walked... Uh, into hospitals and been at the bedsides of some of you when you have lost your children. I have walked into homes where someone has passed away unexpectedly. I have done funerals for way too many people. And in the unexpected, I was not prepared, nor did I know what to say. And in many cases, when I walked in as a, a pastor, uh, I just felt like my presence was more of an anchor of burden rather than the presence of peace. And usually when we're not prepared, we say the unexpected, or we do the unexpected. Sometimes we say things that uh, we think are going to be helpful, but they end up being hurtful. And honestly, sometimes in those situations when we've experienced loss, it's just plain awkward. Someone once said, when, when someone is born, we rejoice. When they marry, we celebrate. 
But when someone dies, many times we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say. And then over a little bit of time, we just act as if nothing has happened. And I think for us, we all know, and if we haven't yet ex that experience loss, you will experience loss. That's just part of life. But when you walk through grief, it is not pretty. And it tends to be messy. And in the midst, I've discovered it has a hard time receiving our trite Christian comments. Because they don't mean that much in the midst of such great pain and agony. Grief is powerful. It is overwhelming. It is unclear. It is burdensome. And honestly, it's just really hard. All grief, all loss creates grief. Yet it is different in its intensity. The loss of a game, most of us can get over pretty quick. The loss of your hair, some of you are still grieving over that. <laughs> or maybe just the loss of your stunning looks as you get older might not be that intense. But the loss of a job, the loss of a dream when infertility happens over and over again and there is nothing you can do. The loss of a child in a miscarriage, your ability or mobility, a child that today might be lost in addiction or the loss of a loved one, all of it carries grief. It's just different intensity levels. And here is the reality. The grief you walk through is no one else's. It is yours. We would love to tell you we know how you feel to comfort you, but we don't because we are not you. It is your grief. And a grieving father wrote what grief was like, and I thought it was an amazing description in experiencing grief by Norman Wright. And here was the picture he tried to paint for us this morning. He said, uh, grief is like a wave. It comes rolling in from a far off place. I could no more push it back than if I were standing in the waters at the beach. I could not fight the wave. It moved over me and under me and it broke against me, but I could never stop it. It yielded to my presence and so yielding arrived at its destination. It worked its way around me and the harder I fought it, the more exhausted I became. So it is with grief. If I tried to fight it, it would vanquish me. If I pushed it down, it would stick in my soul and emerge as something else. Depression, bitterness, exhaustion. If I yielded to the waves and let it carry me, however, it would take me to a new place. And so it is with grief. It takes you to the tops of the waves and then they break and you struggle in the froth of emotion. But I am learning the more you accept it, and hold out your arms to it, and even embrace it, the more you will recover. We need to take a step that, for many of us, is difficult, but we need to yield. Yield to your grief, and let it do its work in you as you live, and as you mourn, and as you will never be the same. There's nothing heroic or noble about grief. It is painful. But I think it is the place that you learn to meet God. As I prepared over the last couple of weeks and read quite a bit, uh, I will say that this sermon messed with me. 
uh, as pastors, you're always looking for illustrations and looking for things that hopefully would be very pertinent to what was going on today. And my mom and dad came back after three and a half months of being in Kansas with my brothers. And on Thursday night, I was sitting at the hospital with my father, uh, reading a book on grief and watching him as he has congestive heart failure. And only 22% of his heart's working, and he has bronchitis, which is leading to pneumonia. And, and I'm sitting there with my dad, who turned 85 yesterday, and he spent it at St. Jude. And I said, I really didn't want that illustration, God. <laughs> That wasn't what I was looking for. But in a way, uh, I understood as my dad sat there and sang, and as he laughed and smiled, and as he flirted with the nurses, um, <laughs> and I heard him tell the same story over and over again to the different ones that came in. And as I put him in bed last night, he sang again. And I grieved. Don't know when that day is. But he's on borrowed time. 1984, he had his first heart attack. He's got a pacemaker, a defibrillator. He's been living a lot longer than he ever should. And I'm so grateful. But grief affects us all. This might not be the most celebratory sermon you've ever heard. But today, here's what I want you to know. I think God has something for us. I wish maybe in my teens I would have heard and understood, because I think to walk through grief as all of us will, I probably should prepare myself for some of that a little bit better than I actually am prepared now. So I want to start by asking you a question today. After suffering uh, major loss and experiencing great grief, is it possible to enjoy life again? Is it possible to rebuild and enjoy your life again after maybe you've lost the greatest joy in your life? Or does every loss subtract a certain amount of satisfaction? I've often wondered, is, is grief actually a gift from God, not just for us to get through, but actually to grow through? that he might be glorified more than he ever could without me walking through him. Paul understood grief and pain and loss. It really it seemed to be his lot in life if you read through his writings. And yet he seemed to carry this unwavering confidence that he and his God were going to come through it, no matter what was going on around him. And I think Paul wants to give us a different perspective this morning. It's sort of like my new glasses, Got some new glasses, if you didn't notice. They're called progressives. I think those are for old people, so I fit right in. <laughs> but I hated looking down to, to read and then take them off to see you, but now I don't have to do that. It's pretty cool. So I tried them out last night. I hated them, but I'm getting used to them now because I can look up and I can see you back on that 12th or 13th row if you're sleeping. So um, <laughs> better stay awake back there. But my perspective is different than when I look down and when I look up. And I think Paul wants us to look at grief and suffering this morning and to understand, I pray something different that will help us live this life in a better way as we walk through loss. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion 
And he is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises from the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. Grief many times undermines our view and our knowledge of God. I, I love the way Paul starts because he brings us back into an understanding of the character of the God we serve. The divine Hebrew name for God is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. I am God, the one who really is, the beginning, the end. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. I am sovereign and I have complete authority in the universe. I am. By definition, we might agree with that. But by experience, we tend to question and sometimes even find it hard to reconcile in the midst of our grief. Trying to reconcile and understand of a good God and a powerful God in the midst of our loss uh, is sometimes impossible. Because God can't be powerful and good. Because if he were powerful, well, why didn't he stop whatever happened to me, this tragedy that came to my life? And if he is good, why is he allowing me to suffer? And many times in grief, people blame God turn away from God, isolate themselves, and think it's his fault. Paul stops and reminds us in the very beginning of who God is, who his nature is, his character, that he is bigger than our circumstance, that he is actually with us in our circumstance and will lead us through because that is the nature of our God. It is his character that is unchanging. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is I am, the creator, the initiator. And he starts and he says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You might want to circle all in your Bible. <clears throat> that word compassion, here's what it means. It means your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. He says, our God is the Father of all compassion. He's experienced and understands your pain. That's what it means, Emmanuel, God with us, that he actually cared so much that he sent his son and he chose to become human and experience and suffer loss so that he could identify with us. He is the father of compassion and today I'm here to tell you he wants to comfort you. The words all comfort in, in the Greek throughout the New Testament is, is really more than just this soothing sympathy. It actually has the idea of strengthening, of helping, of making strong. If you look in the Latin context, the idea behind this word means to, 
you're brave. That God is creating in his all comfort this strength and this ability to be brave and to stand tall and strong in the midst of your suffering. So we ask the question, so why does God comfort us? And he tells us right there, so that you would be able to comfort those who are suffering. One of the greatest purposes of God comforting us in the midst of our trials and tribulations is so that we can actually comfort somebody else. Often, we don't ever receive when we're walking through grief the comfort of God because we have a hard time letting others in. And that isolation not only separates us from God's avenue for restoration, it sometimes separates us from Him directly. But he says, I have given you these trials and this suffering so that when the time is appropriate, you are going to be able to bring comfort to somebody else. But many times pride keeps us from revealing our needs to others. So we never receive the comfort God wants to offer us. Our experience is given not just for us, but is given for others. That one day you might be a blessing to them. A.W. Tozer said it like this, it is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. That sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) I, I don't want that part of the Christian faith. But it's doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I've often thought, uh, as I've walked through some loss, which is different than, than your loss, but some of you have walked through depression, you know that depression is just uh, the loss, whether real or imagined. It's a sense of loss. And there was a season in my life where I've told you before, I walked through a, a seasonal depression. And as I sat, I, I didn't think there was really any way out. And I remember getting on this stage and doing what I could to do announcements and get off of here as quickly as I could because I didn't want to see you. I didn't want to talk. I remember preaching six Christmas Eve services one year, and every time I retreated as quickly as I could to my office because I couldn't have enough energy to talk to you. And, and as a leader, when, when, when I sat at my home in my tracksuit and, and certain people would come and visit me, I didn't want them to see me. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't have anything to say. And I'm supposed to be a leader. That'll mess with you. Yet, they were there. And they walked in. And their presence, if I look back today, was some of the greatest comfort. The In-N-Out burgers they would bring me because they looked at me and, you know, this skinny man didn't need to lose 14 pounds like I did. So they just brought me food. But they sat and they didn't make me talk. And they told me they loved me and they prayed for me. And I look and and Paul says, here, when you walk through something, at one point you're going to be able to go and you're going to empathize with somebody else that is walking through it in a way that words don't even have to be communicated. They just know you know. And today Paul comes and says, your suffering or your trials, it's not all about you. It's so that one day you can bring comfort to someone else. 
And the God of all compassion in Psalm 34, 18, through this great book said this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. So as you share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, it says you will abound in the comforts of Christ. Suffering and comfort both walk hand in hand. And what he is saying is Jesus in the midst of both of those is walking right there with you. We abound in sufferings of Christ, but we then receive the bounty of the comforts of Christ if we allow Christ and his church to come and comfort. We can admit today that many of the sufferings we've actually brought on ourselves. It has nothing to do with the natural progression of life or loss. It's just sufferings that we have put ourselves in situations, and it's not God's issue. It merely is our issue. But he says in all sufferings and in trials, our comfort will abound only in Christ. And there's stuff that comes into your life that Christ is the only one and the only thing that can bring comfort of any kind of joy when you're walking in the depth of those trials. Some of you have been faithful to follow Jesus all your life, and you have prayed this prayer, Jesus, use me. God, would you just use me to help somebody else come to know you? I just want you to know that is a very dangerous prayer. I think it's a, an awesome prayer to pray. But from what Paul's saying is, be ready. I so much want to keep out all that suffering part. I want to put up the wall around uh, the land of gracious living and my family so that nothing bad will happen and we can protect it. I mean, I was driving down the road the other day and I heard sirens in Yorba Linda and I'm like, what's going on? There's sirens. That doesn't happen in Yorba Linda. And I think somehow you can build these walls and think we're going to be safe and this world's going to be okay. And guess what? It's not. The world is dying. It's corrupt with sin and brokenness and hurt. And if we focus so much on here and today and protecting our little world, we're going to fail. And then we're going to be disappointed. And then we're going to tend to blame God for the suffering we're in when he said, this is not why I created you. Death was not in my plan. The one we should blame, the one we should be mad at is the enemy and sin that has crept in and is causing death. Death is inevitable. But Jesus says, this world, you're going to have trouble, but guess what? I have overcome the world. You might just need a different perspective on the world because this isn't it. But he says, I'm in it, and I am the father of all compassion in the midst of it. Paul, he just had this unwavering passion and this undeniable compassion for people. And he wanted these people in Corinth to be informed. And in verse 8 and 9, here's what he said. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. You ever been there? Paul was. And he said, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. What was going on? It was terminal. We were not getting away from it. It had controlled us. But this happened. Why? Not that we might rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
If you want to find a, a verse that tells you what Paul's going on with, a chapter, Acts chapter 19 tells us as Paul was writing this letter what was going on and the problems that were happening in Ephesus. There were riots because people were coming to Christ and they were throwing away their idols and they were throwing away their books and they were throwing all the stuff in a pile and it was being burnt and the silversmiths were getting ticked off because their way of making money was now going up in flames and these people were turning from their idols and they were turning to Jesus and they were coming against Paul and Paul said, we're being attacked on every side. In fact, we're going to die. I don't think we're going to get out of here. And it was heavy. And he said, but this isn't just about me. I'm going to write this letter because you need to hear and you need to understand and you need to trust and rely that there is a God who raises people from the dead. And he raised his son, Jesus Christ, so that you might have eternal life. And he said, that's what I'm focused on. When we think uh, about that word of suffering, it's a broad context in the New Testament. It isn't just listed, uh, limited to one kind of trouble like persecution. That Greek word for suffering had its idea of this physical pressure that was being brought down on someone. In old England, heavy weights were put on criminals for their crimes, and it says they were then pressed down to death. They were weighted down. They were overwhelmed. Paul says some of your sufferings some of you today might feel like you're pressed down and you're dying. Paul was. And he said, so what do these calamities do in my life? They've caused me not to rely on my comfortableness and my circumstances that surround me, but it caused me to look upward and to realize the hope that one day I have. In Philippians 3.10, he said, here's what I want to know. I want to know Christ. And he says, I just don't want to know the power of his resurrection and the greatness of what he does, but I actually am going to participate in his sufferings because I want to reflect him and be more like him. And to be more like him means we actually need to start seeing like him. I can tell you that the character of God and who he is hates the pain and the havoc that death causes so much that he was willing to send his son for you. And so he knows and he understands some of your pain today. But he will turn that grief into joy. And we will be conquerors. And Paul says that in verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Three things I want you to write down. He has, he is, he will. He has delivered. We can look back and see he is faithful. He is delivering right now, whether you believe it or not. And he is moving us forward to a day of redemption and a day of hope. And ultimately, he will be victorious. He has, he is, he will. And so with that, I ask you the same question. <laughs> After suffering major loss, and experiencing great grief, is it possible to enjoy life again? What if grief is actually a gift from God, not just to get through, but to grow through, and His glory be seen in you, and others gain comfort through you? I think the answer to all of that is yes. It is a gift. Yes, life can be enjoyable again. Never the same but you must choose to step into your grief and you must choose to not only invite others but Jesus in 
Jerry Sitzer wrote a great book, and uh, unfortunately, we sold out last service. It's in our bookstore, but it will be there next week, uh, called A Grace Disguised, an amazing book. And then another one uh, for those of you who maybe have children and you have experienced loss, whatever it might be, that's called Tear Soup, and it, it's just a, a helpful guide for healing after loss for you, your family, your kids. But uh, A Grace Disguised, Jerry was with his family, his four children, and they were driving and were hit by a drunk driver, and his wife and his mother and daughter were killed instantly, leaving him with uh, his children and himself. And he wrote this book just a couple years after his accident, and here is what he said and the choices that he is making right now. He said, though I experienced death, I also experienced life in ways that I never thought possible before. Not after the darkness, as we might suppose, but in the darkness. I did not go through pain and come out of the other side. Instead, I lived in it, and I found within that pain the grace to survive and eventually grow. I learned gradually that the deeper we plunge into suffering, the deeper we can enter into a new and a different life, a life no worse than before, and sometimes a life, yes, that's even better. A willingness to face the loss and to enter into the darkest is the first step we must take. But like all first steps, it is probably the most difficult and takes the most time. And here's what I am learning. That when we step into our grief, we allow God to step into our suffering. That when we step into our grief, we are allowing God to step into our suffering. That when we have a confidence in a God that we don't understand, and it is confusing, and it is overwhelming, and I am here today to tell you, I in no way want to minimize your grief and what you walked through. I don't think grief leaves, but I think it's lifted. And I think the only way to walk through that is to actually step into it and experience God in a new way. And I think as we look at death or loss, maybe we could realize that death's not a great sleep, but it's actually a great awakening. It's that moment when we begin to maybe see differently as God sees. When the picture he has been painted, the longing of our souls realized, the haze may be removed for so much that was unclear. Now in the midst of our grief, many times we awaken to see God and see him as he has seen all along. And I think one of the only ways to experience a great awakening is to fully experience your great grief. Robert Vinegar said it like this, this is a good reason for entering fully into one's sorrow. Because once you have experienced the seriousness of your loss, you will be able to experience the wonder of being alive. Hmm. See, the God of second chance, I think he's working in your sorrow and in your grief right now. It's not after your grief that he gives you the second chance. It's in the midst of it. And the choice is ours if we would step into it. See, grief has the ability to bring ourselves to our end. And many of you have walked through it, understand that there is nothing you can do. But that's where I believe the father of all compassion can begin. When we've lost a loved one, and the dark night of the soul never seems to give light today, may I just encourage you to hold on. 
maybe just, I just encourage you to take one more step towards Jesus and experience his promises and believe that in the darkness, he's walking with you. For a little while, Scripture says over and over again, for a little while, we've been given a privilege to walk with those in their grief and in their sorrow, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and Scripture says weep with those who weep. You know, it doesn't say give them a couple pointers or a few ideas. It doesn't say talk. It says rejoice, and then it says weep. So as we close today, I I just, from my learnings and me stepping in it more than once, I want to give you some things as you walk with people in grief not to do and not to say. And then I want to give you some things that probably are okay to say. And then I want to close in prayer and and sing, and I'll get you out of here. But I think it's important because all of us are going to do it at one point. And so here's what not to say, but let me start with this. Less is always more. Uh, They don't need you to talk. They just need you. Last night, Annette Craig, who when I walked in Annette Craig's house the night her daughter had taken her life, Ken Shimmer was there and I was there. And she texted me last night after she watched the service. And she didn't say, Matthew, it was your words. She didn't say it was the scripture you read. She just said it was your presence. And she said, thank you. And then she said, I wouldn't be where I am today without Friends Church. And Annette Craig now runs with Hope Suicide Prevention Program that on that night, in the midst of her greatest loss, she could have never imagined that she has spoken to hundreds of thousands of kids in public high schools about the hope of Christ. And she, I believe, has saved countless students from taking their lives. It was the comfort she received that is allowing her now to do what she is doing. Never would she have dreamed. So for you, when you step into grief, Here's a few things not to say. The first one is this. It will all be okay. No, it won't. One day when we're in heaven, it'll all be okay. But when you say it, it minimizes their grief. Doesn't help. Second one is this. They are better off now. They're in a better place. doesn't take away anyone's pain. That might be one of those great Christian trite sayings that we say, but I'm telling you, it doesn't do any good in the moment. The next one is this. This was God's will. That's comforting, isn't it? No. In those moments, it's not. We can't grasp death. We can't understand it. And in the midst of shock, we don't believe it's God's will. It's just not good. I have a couple professors here. I don't know that it's really good theology either. The next one. How are you doing? What do you want them to say? See, we say how you're doing here, and the reason we say it is because it's just what we say. I don't really want you to tell me how you're doing. I want you to tell me everything is okay and pass me by because I got a thousand more people to say hi to. 
But in fact, I, I actually do want you to tell me. But we are so great at pretending in this place that everything is always okay. And you know what? I'm guilty of it because in between services, I do it all the time. And I'm running by and I ask how you're doing as I'm warning up the steps. What I'm saying is I don't care how you're doing. I'm just asking you the same question I always have because I don't have anything else to ask you. I need to get better at that. Because how you're doing means I actually care about you and I want to know. How you're doing in that midst, they don't need it because they don't even know what to say. So don't say it, all right? I'll talk longer. I'll be quiet. Next. Call me if you need anything. They're never going to call you. You call them. Okay. Enough with the negative. How about some things you can say? Let's go to that. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Your presence again, I love you, and I'm praying for you. And if you say you're praying, then make sure you're praying. Next one. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I think that's pretty good. You can empathize. You might not understand, but you can feel sorry. And they're going through something that you can't imagine at that time. Next. I really appreciated fill in their name and then tell a couple things that you appreciated. Or I'm going to miss whatever the person's name. They meant so much to me. Those are words of reassurance. Those are words of stepping into their pain. Those are words of affirmation. But I think the three things are this that'll just sum everything up. Pray, listen, and love. Pray, listen, and love. So as a church, that's who we want to be. We have a, a care ministries department that has support groups that meet here every Monday night for um, whatever you might be walking through, from divorce care to the suicide prevention to those of you who have been in families that have had someone that has taken their life, to all the other things that happens on Monday night. You can go online or you can go out to our information tables. We have Stevens ministers who are one-on-one -on -one counselors and ministers that would love to meet with you. And then we have our partner called SIF, the Center for Individual and Family Therapy. I think the church as at its greatest in the midst of your greatest grief. Because I think that's what the church is to be. I just want to say thank you to you, the church. I hear over and over again of families who are walking through things that they are overwhelmed by your love. The one thing that stinks for me in a, a large church is some of you do have expectations of me that I can never meet, so that's okay, I get that. I wish I could be at every hospital. I wish I could come to every home when you're sick. Heck, I don't even know when some of you are sick, and then I see you in five weeks, you've been gone, and, and I say hi, and you're like, I'm in the hospital, and then I'm like, seriously? I didn't even know. I am sorry for that. But guess what? You're the church. You're supposed to be the church. We want to empower you to do it, not because I don't want to do it. I can't. But you can in that small group of friends you have. And we're counting on you to be the comfort and the strength and the person that brings meals and the group that goes to the, the hospital and prays. And we're counting on you to partner with us. And we will do our best. But we'll never be as good as you. So let's be a church 
that, like Paul said, is a church of compassion and all comfort, that when you suffer, we suffer, and when you rejoice, we rejoice. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this, and I close. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. May the God of all compassion bring you life and comfort in the midst of your suffering. And may you experience him in a greater way than you can ever imagine. To him be the glory and honor. And it's in his name we stand and we pray all these things. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your undying love. We thank you for your promises of hope. We thank you that somehow in the midst of our suffering, comfort does walk hand in hand. May we be people that reach out not only to you, but to others. And may we be people that are sensitive, God, to understand less is more. And God, I just pray that, that our personality sometimes won't get in the way and the way we heal and the way we think others should heal won't get in the way that God will let you do your work. Sometimes it's longer for some and it's shorter for others. But I pray, Father, that you will do a work and that we would be willing to walk into the suffering because I think that's where we experience you in a way we could never imagine. So I thank you today that we are going to leave with this assurance that we believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you are victorious, that one day there will be no more tears, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain, because you have already conquered death. And so, God, you are, you have, you will, and I pray we place our trust and our hope in that, because we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and we stand on that this morning. In the powerful name we pray, amen.